Amen. Have a seat. Uh, I'm Dave Burden. Uh, I'm not Brant Benetti. Brant Benetti is on vacation with Caroline. I don't know when he's getting back. I think January sometime. Um, no, they're having a great time in California, I think. Uh, but I am here with you guys this morning and then headed to Creep Hall. So on the drive here, all of the lights on my dashboard came on in my truck. So just pray that I can get to Creep Hall in time. And if I can't, I may run back in here and ask for one of your cars. And then we'll spend the rest of the day figuring that out. Um, but uh, we're in the book of Nehemiah. I think Brant has been framing it like this for y'all, that Nehemiah is a book about God's holy people uh, rebuilding really their this holy city, Jerusalem, in order to worship a holy God. And this guy, Nehemiah, uh, if you're not familiar with the book or if you're new here and you haven't been following along, this guy, Nehemiah, was called, he says in you know, chapter 2, that God put it in his heart to do this. This was something that God put it in him to do for the Jews returning from the Babylonian uh, exile. And he understood something about God's people. He understood something about Jerusalem, that if, if this wall around Jerusalem wasn't rebuilt, if there was no wall, then there would be no safety. And if there was no safety, there would be no city. And if there was no city, uh, there would be no temple. And if there was no temple, there would be no worship. And if there was no worship of God, then Israel would do what Israel always does and what we would always do, which is, is we would worship something else because uh, our hearts are made to worship. And so he understood rebuilding this wall was really crucial uh, to getting to that place to where we would worship the Lord and have what worship does, which is our hearts retuned and re-aimed at what they were created to do, which is be in this kind of relationship with Yahweh, right? So Nehemiah, uh, he's been facing all kinds of resistance ever since he got this vision put in his heart to do. And uh, last week, we looked at some of the internal resistance that was going on. He was fighting people externally, Sambalots and Tobias and people like that. But he fights this internal resistance, Jews who um, were treating and mistreating their fellow Jews who were in poverty uh, and basically taking advantage of them. And he confronted this sin of greed that the nobles and the officials uh, were, you know, responsible for. Uh, and he called them <laughs> publicly, called them. I, I shared with the people of Creep Hall, how would you like it if I knew there was a sin in your life and we called a meeting of everybody together and then I decided to bring that out in front of everybody. It said, it's time to repent of that. That's what Nehemiah did. I mean, he dropped the thunder on these people calls them to repent from what they had done, and instead of exacting this excessive interest uh, from their fellow Jews who were working hard to rebuild this wall, he was asking them, hey, you shouldn't be exacting interest, you should be taking interest in these people and taking interest in their needs. Because what they were doing is that they were not just breaking the law of God, they were breaking the Mosaic law, but they were actually breaking the heart of the law, right? They were, they were going against the very heart of how they should be towards their fellow man, right? So Nehemiah, he's, he, he dealt with that, but what we're about to read is, is a place where Nehemiah really takes a deep dive into his own life, and he practices what he preaches, and he leads by example by being extremely generous in an area that he wasn't required to, but he decided to, okay? So this is Nehemiah 5, verses 14 through 19. Does Brant read out of the ESV or the NIV? Oh, you're reading I love it. What's your name? My name is Savannah. Savannah? Yes. Everybody, this is Savannah. <laughs> We're meeting for the first time, she and I. <laughs> Thanks so much for reading this morning. 
You want me? Oh, it's kind of low for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, Nehemiah 5, 14 through 19. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of, the, of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance yet for all this i did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people remember for my good oh my god all that i have done for this people thank you all right let me pray for us lord uh, apply this word to our hearts um, help me listen to you uh, and be guided by you as i teach in your name amen all right, three things uh, I want us to consider. Hopefully we'll get to them. If not, the sermon will end abruptly and then I will run out the door. Um, three things that I think we see in this text and we see in our brother Nehemiah that I think uh, hopefully will influence us in our hearts. Uh, the first one is this, when, when rights, when our rights can become wrongs, okay? So if you're note taking type, when our rights can become wrongs, Secondly, a heart that is captured by what is right. I think we see that in here. And then this last thing where he prays about being remembered. Remember me, O God, okay? So when our rights can become wrongs, a heart that is captured by what is right and then being remembered. So first thing, when our rights can become wrongs. Um, there's, there are words oftentimes in scripture that uh, I find it really, we kind of think of them as like transition words, but they're actually really important um, small words like the word uh, in 14 and then again in 17, moreover or furthermore. He says, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when I was appointed until this 32nd year, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. What Nehemiah is saying there, because remember he's coming right off of confronting these nobles and officials for their greed and taking advantage of their fellow man. Uh, so he not only stops them from doing that but Nehemiah goes further than just challenging those nobles and officials on their breaking and their bending of the law and taking advantage of folks he looks then stops that but then he looks to where this this situation could actually affect him directly and asks a question of himself where can he where can I sacrifice in an area of my life for the needs that I see around me right and sacrifice particularly in an area where he has a right to not sacrifice because of his position as governor, right? As governor, he had rights. That's what he's talking about when he says, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver in addition to them, their food and their wine. He had rights as the governor to take provisions for himself from the people, right? Right? basically how he got what he needed 
how he was supplied for was the taxation of those people. And that taxation wasn't just money. It was actually taking their grain. It would have been taking their cows. It would have been taking their wine and things like that, right? And these were the people, right? The very people who were in need. So he has a right to those provisions, but he doesn't act on that right. What Nehemiah is displaying here is this, that just because I have rights, it doesn't necessarily make it right for me to use those rights, right? There's a time where my rights can become wrongs, right? And Nehemiah went without what he was entitled to, right? And why was this? Because Nehemiah ultimately is displaying here is he wasn't devoted to his rights, right? He went without what he was entitled to for 12 years. Think about that for a second. And this is not like a, hey, I fasted for the weekend sort of situation. 12 years, right, that he did this. 12 different years than his predecessors. And why, he says, is is out of reverence for or fear of, fear of the God, right? That's why he did it. It's important that we see that because it's not just that he didn't do it just because he saw the needs of the people, right? Because I, I know for me, I could do that sometimes. Like I see a need, and so I can kind of go without something for a period of time. But this is like a deep cut, right, into his personal lifestyle, right? So I may be able to go without for a little while, but if I'm going to go without for the kind of time frame that he's talking about here, what's going to motivate that? What's actually going to kind of inspire that or empower that? What? Out of reverence for God, out of actual fear for the Lord, right? that he didn't act like that. So it wasn't just that he saw the needs, but he saw something in the very nature of who God was himself. And that is why he acted that way, right? Because that's what it means to revere something or, or to respect somebody. When you revere someone or you respect someone or you have fear of something, what Nehemiah is displaying there is he's saying, I've, I've humbled myself and I see myself in a lower position than the Lord. I see myself beneath him and underneath his authority, right? That's what he's saying. And so instead of doing what all the other governors had done before him, right, which nobody would have thought anything different. That's what you get to do, right, when you're governor. Instead of doing that, he devoted himself, what does he say there? I devoted myself and my men devoted themselves to the work of the wall, which is basically to say this. I devoted myself to the common good, right, to the common good and the needs of other people. I devoted myself to that, not to, he says there in verse 16, all my men were assembled for that work and we did not acquire any land. What is he effectively saying there? We devoted ourselves to the common good instead of devoting ourselves to our own personal good. He's effectively saying this, I revered the Lord instead of revering myself, right? Considering myself. Nehemiah understood in this instance that standing on his rights as governor would have been wrong by other people. His rights would have become wrong, and so he didn't do it. Right? Right? <laughs> Emily said she listened. My wife is named Emily. She said she listened to one of my sermons the other day. She said, you say right so much. I'm going to try to stop that in this sermon. <laughs> Especially since there's so many things about rights in here. That could get really confusing. Nehemiah understood in this instance that standing on his rights as governor would have been wrong by others, and so he didn't. So it should cause us to stop and ask for ourselves, right? It'd be good to stop and ask this question of us, 
where has my rights, right, what I'm entitled to, I did it, didn't I? <laughs> Twice. All right, y'all pray for me. Help me. Where have our rights possibly led to our wrongs? You know, where am I more committed to what I'm entitled to than compelled by the need of other people that I see around me? We are in a, I would argue this, a rights-obsessed culture and time, right? Whoa. Wow. Now I'm going to be very aware of this. We're in a rights-obsessed culture. And the very nature of rights being put in place by law, why we have rights put in place by law, are there to make sure that all people are being protected, all people are being provided for, all people are being treated well, all people are being treated fairly and equally. Rights being put in place by law are there inherently to protect against possible disadvantaging of people. They're not there for those who are advantaged, which Nehemiah had an advantaged position. They're not there for the advantaged to twist or to abuse in order to grow their advantage. That's not what rights are there for. Rights put in place by law. And they have to be put there in place by law. Scripture talks about this in Galatians, talks about this in Romans 5, Galatians 3. They're put in place by law because without them being put in place by law or without there being consequence for breaking those rights, we know that human nature has displayed something since the fall, and it's this. I will inherently use my position for my own advantage. I will do what's right by me, right? So parts of the Mosaic Law, even parts of our law here, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Schoolhouse Rock, who can sing it for me, <laughs> right? The preamble, it's all about that. People being protected, provided for, treated well and fairly and equally, and that's law. But it has to be law because we know that without that law there, I would be prone, the heart apart from grace, the heart apart from God's work in our lives, I am prone to use my position for my own advantage. That's why Galatians 3 and Romans 5 say that the law was given to make sin what? Seen? I have to see. It says that the law was given that the trespass might increase. So I could actually be aware of my sin because without the law, I'm not even aware of the fact that I'm prone to do everything for me. The law was given so that sin might be seen and that a Savior might also, the need for a Savior might be heightened. That's why the law was put in place. Well, in our cultural context right now, rights today are often seen almost exclusively as a pathway to my individual freedoms, as a pathway to my individual gains, as a pathway to me, right? Rather than something that I have a choice. I may have that right, but I can lay it down. Or I don't have to exercise that right for my own good. I can exercise my efforts for the common good, right? 
Just because you don't, or sorry, just because you have those rights doesn't require us to use them just for us. So Nehemiah, he understood this. He displayed that. Nehemiah didn't follow his rights at that point to the point to where they became wrongs. He said, okay, these are my rights as governor, but I'm not going to live into those things because those rights would be wrong by others. So he didn't allow his rights to become wrong. Secondly, Nehemiah had a heart, we see here, that was actually captured. It's what it means to revere the Lord or to fear the Lord. He had a heart that was captured by what's right. What does he say in verse 17? So he didn't take what he could have taken, which is what the nobles and the officials did. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. I think the ESV reads it like this. Now it was prepared at my expense. So not only did he not take from them, but out of his own pocket, he prepared what? For 150 Jews and others from surrounding nations. He was the guy... Nehemiah was the guy who signed up for every meal train, right? When every baby was born. Except it wasn't just for babies, it was for everybody, right? He had a heart that was captured by what was right. He had a different devotion than to his own rights as governor. He had new devotions. And he didn't just not do what was wrong. He did something else. He was proactive in the right direction. And he did this. He supplied at his own expense the good stuff for a ton of people, right? He didn't just bring out, you know, bologna sandwiches for everybody. He, he had, you know, the ox slain, right? And poultry prepared and choice wine, abundant supply of wine of all kinds. He was the sommelier, right, of the Old Testament. Some of you guys are like, what is a sommelier? You, you guys are more cultured than us down on Grieve Hall. You know what a sommelier is. He brought out the good stuff. He didn't make demands or tax them because the burden was so heavy, but instead he gave greatly to them. What do we see here? His reverence for God, his fear of God shows itself. And this is what the fear of the Lord does. It shows itself as a heart for what God has a heart for. Shows the very heart of God. What's right isn't just not doing what's wrong, it's doing right, <laughs> right? It's not greedy, it's generous. That's what the gospel is. Not just not being greedy, it's being generous towards those in need. Micah 6, 8, the Lord has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Walk in the way that he walks. So Nehemiah's heart was captured by what was right. He was captured by the heart of the Lord. And it was a beautiful picture because he was making and providing, making room at the table for those who had a heavy burden. Not just taking, not just not taking advantage of them, but being an advantage for them. You see? Leveraging his position for their benefit. And so again, what should that cause us to stop and consider? How do we step into this? Well, I would just ask you to ask this question. This is one of the questions I wrestled with this week in my own heart and preparation. 
Who's at my table who's in need? Like, do I only dine and provide at my own expense or make sacrifices for those who are just like me or in my same position? You know, throw dinner parties for people who are like me and we just kind of trade the expense, but we're all really rich. Who's at my table who's in need? Right? You'll hear, I think in a couple of weeks, I don't know when Jonathan and DeCarlos are coming to talk about Napier, but one of the things you can know just by being a part of Midtown and Midtown East is, is that we're supporting a work, a church planning effort through two guys who are on our staff, DeCarlos Robinson and Jonathan Nash, in Napier, which is a severely disadvantaged community that's not very far from here. And it's just one way that we are as a church collectively saying we are going to create a place at the table (laughs) uh, for needs to be met for people who have heavy burdens on them. We're going to do that. We're going to fight for that by helping start a work there, a community building work and a church planning work in that community. And you're doing that just by being a part of this community. So know that, but it's a great opportunity for us to consider as East. I've let Brant push into the specific ways for you guys. I know what I'm going to say at Creep Hall. How are we, as the church, as the body of Christ, doing that? Having a heart that's captured for what's right and creating space at the table for those who are not just like us, but who are under a heavy burden, because they're all around us. So Nehemiah, he didn't allow his rights to become wrongs. Nehemiah had a heart that was captured by what was right. And then lastly, he prays this prayer in verse 19. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I've done for this people. It's an interesting thing to kind of end this section with. That he asks the Lord to remember him. I think what he's saying here uh, is this. Ultimately, why I'm doing what I'm doing uh, is because the audience that I'm doing it for is you, Lord. I'm not doing this to be seen by other people. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be generous to people in need because I want to be remembered or favored by them. I call it a you for me. Some of you who know me know about the you for me's. I did it for you for me, right? Just because I want you to appreciate me or see that I've been generous to you. I don't think that's what was going on with Nehemiah here. I think he shows that his audience is the Lord and he isn't doing this to be remembered by the Jewish people that he's doing it for. He's asking the Lord to remember him and he's doing it out of reverence for the Lord and devotion to the Lord and to be seen by him, right? I think what Nehemiah is really displaying here is, is that he understands that the position he's in, the only reason that he's in the position that he's in and not in the position that they're in is, is because he's in the position that he's in because of God's grace to him. He's been the one who has been graced to be in this position of influence, to be in this position of power, to be in this position of, of ability, right? 
He knows that he's in that position because not of his work, but because of God's favor. And he's using his position because he understands it like that. He's using it like that. And he's asking the Lord, which is hard. I mean, you go without something for 12 years, that's hard. That's sacrifice. He's saying, Lord, this is tough, but will you remember me? Will you see what's going on? Right? I'm interested in your favor, your goodness towards me. That's what matters most to me. That's the, that's the eyes that I'm hoping to see set on me. The favor that you alone can give me and to be remembered by you, that's the ultimate reward. That's what Nehemiah is declaring in that moment in that prayer. So where does that leave us? Where does what I just said or what this is saying leave us? So I hope it leaves us somewhat imp- introspective. I hope you leave here and you're know, just like, oh, that was interesting. You go, okay, where, maybe where have me and my rights or what I feel entitled to, where can those things be wrongs in my life? Where am I standing on my rights to a, to a fault? And it's actually taking advantage of other people. I hope you leave inspired a little bit by Nehemiah. Um, I hope you actually leave going, man, I, maybe I've been put in a position of power and of influence because I believe you have. And Lord, where are you calling me to maybe go without in ways uh, that I could actually be a part of impacting the lives of other people in ways that, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't have to do it. I don't get loved by God anymore for doing it, but I can actually do it because I am loved by God, right? So introspective, inspired, maybe convicted. I know for me it was convicting because um, me loves me some me, right? I like taking care of me. But what Nehemiah is saying here is, is, Lord, you take care of me. Remember me. You take care of me. But I hope you leave more than introspective, inspired, and convicted. I hope you leave mostly grateful. And here's why. Nehemiah and his story, just like all the other stories in the Bible and this part of redemptive history, is a snapshot of the entire redemptive history from the fall to Revelation 22. This is just a moment in redemptive history in the, in the entire story of God's redemptive work, which is the Bible, right? Nehemiah's story is the story of one man stepping into a need and a heavy burden. But the whole Bible's story is that story. One man, one man who is fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, who stepped into those, you and I, who were under a heavy burden. And instead of asking for something from us, this is the gospel, y'all, he gave something to us. And Nehemiah, he points to this. He's a glimpse of that main character, Jesus, but he isn't perfect. He isn't Jesus. But in in Scripture, what Scripture says is is what we're looking into here, this is our story. We were the ones in, in heavy need. And Jesus steps into that need and doesn't ask for something. He gives something. He doesn't tax us. He is generous towards us and he remembers us. And not when we did it right, when we did it wrong. This is what Psalm 25 says. Remember, O Lord, your love and your great mercy for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For Lord, you are good. He remembers us in his love. 
That's how he remembers us. That's what we have in Jesus. He's the perfect Nehemiah. And our salvation was accomplished, just like the Jews' salvation in this moment was accomplished through the work that Nehemiah was doing. Our salvation is accomplished through what he gave up, and it wasn't just food and wine. It was his very life. And he was devoted to us. He wasn't devoted to his rights. He left the things that he was allotted to as the king of the universe. He was completely in the right, is what Scripture says. And he emptied himself for us who were under the heavy burden of sin which was something we couldn't work ourselves out of. So what? What's the end of the Bible? Revelation 22, a feast. A feast around a table, a feast that will never end, that we got from him that we could never deserve because of what he gave for us. This is Philippians 2. Listen to your Jesus who remembers you who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Equality with God, his rights, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on every and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let me pray for us and then I'm going to bolt. Lord, thank you uh, that you didn't stand on your rights. You had the right uh, to not redeem us, uh, to not remember us, but you remembered us because of your great love. You keep your promises, you're good. Um, your heart loves what is right, Lord. Would you affect our hearts to do the same? Would you move in us uh, to fear you, to have a deep reverence for you like our brother Nehemiah did, uh, that we might be those uh, who willingly go without uh, so that those who are in desperate need uh, may see you and glorify you and be brought into the family. 